Previously on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Striker! We last left our heroes trapped in some metal robotic contraptions of some sort. And One. by our heroes, we mean Professor Xavier, Storm, and... Cyclops. Cyclops. They're trapped. They're the one team in Stryker's clutches while our other group is a little spread apart. We got Kitty and Ilyana captured. Hiding in the bushes they were. And then... Captured by the Purifier team. And our our boys, boys back at the mansion with Magneto in charge, calling the shots on the torture device. Oh, yeah. So... We're about to find out what happens next. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin! As he's talking to the people on the field and Storm's reaction. Kitty! And and you see that lightning bolt over the New York City skyline. Oh, Storm. It's cool that she can do that. That she's like... Creating this epic weather from inside her little robot bubble. And we actually get a reaction from that on the next page as the people out in the streets in the South Bronx are reacting to the weather's effects caused by storm. You know, we don't we don't know, but we know. And the purifiers, they gun down the car. The license plate says Muty, and I think that that's a ridiculous detail. They gun down this car that they believe Kitty to be in the trunk of, but the car is empty. Bye. I'm Kitty. I phase. I'm out of here. Well, supposedly she recognized, and I think we find this out on the next page, I can hardly concentrate enough to walk, much less phase. I phased the instant I heard the gas jets, but I think some of it got me. I feel awful. I can hardly concentrate enough to walk, much less phase. And for all the help I'm likely to find in this neighborhood, I might as well be on the moon. Man, she just wants to save Eliana. And she finds this group, seemingly a gang, who don't really seem to be friendly at all by their dialogue. But this purifier comes in and says, she's mine, with a gun drawn. Back off, nice lady. Back off, nice and slow. Anyone stupid enough to try something won't live to regret it. This our turf, woman. You don't give no orders here. This gun says different. Well, she phases them out of there right in the nick of time. Yeah, she's able to phase through the wall as the gang and shooter square off. And she's Anne's not even concerned as they go up and up against each other. And she tells the people, you know, I had pride, but those punks made me lose her. That's a mistake they'll never make again. Keep after her, Rocco. She has to be close by. I'll head back to the car. She's She's wounded. She's been hit, I believe, with the knife. Man. Her perseverance, you know, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Now, Kitty, where are you? She's found a bodega nearby, and she's able to call back to the mansion. Kurt picks it up as an explosion happens. Oh, my goodness. An explosion in... The bodega. The bodega. And just the intensity of this bottom half of the page. The Holy bring, crackers. bring, bring. So is in this photo is basically the explosion, like, phasing through Kate, uh, Kitty. So on the next page, she says, I phased just in time. Again, just in time. Which I feel like speaks to that point that Andrew was saying on the interview when we were talking to him on the Claremont run. Kitty's character of being this vulnerable character whose power literally is invulnerability. The yes. fact that she's always just in the nick of time being able to phase 
to not get hit by these. Right, but that does not, that doesn't uh, relate to her mental state at all. Like her or, mental state is like, Bleh. Or the reader's mental state right. who is identifying and empathizing with this 14-year-old girl who is in all this danger as she's still trying to make it away from the purifiers who have caught up to her. And she phases through the ground and wall onto a train. Oh, my God. Purifiers catch up, which I thought was kind of suspect. They catch up on top of a moving train. And they're just popping off everywhere. They shoot this cop. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she gets on the train and the cop is like, are you okay, honey? And yeah, every, and like they're like, don't worry, you're safe here. And then boom, no, you're not. Well, you're not safe. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Thanks for being a hero. And on the next page, purifiers have Kitty trapped as she's trying to just rescue this this police officer. And then, <laughs> boom. Magneto lifts the train car. Yeah. Amazing. Man. And the full team comes in on the next page as they fight off these purifiers. Oh, wow. Magneto brought the... The big guns, the whole team's here. Kitty is just as shocked as you, dear reader. X-Men and Magneto together? Dun, dun, dun. And Magneto saves the cop by removing the bullet. <gasps> Yay, Magneto! Good job! For now. Oh, for now. And on that next page, <laughs> this magic, magic carpet, carpet ride. I, I love, <laughs> I love that. If that is not one of my favorite pages of... This book. Magneto is singing, I can show you the world. Mutants living alone. Kill the humans we have to or will never have a home. A whole new world. Krakoa's waiting here for us. I've talked to Charles and Moira. I know what we need to make this island really real. (laughs) Well, that was fun. That was fun. Oh, man. Okay. They're magic carpeting away. And there's Charles alone in a dark space, spotlit in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's the continued Stryker and Xavier brainwashing. And this, I feel like, is starting to bring in an interesting correlation between X2 and with Jason, right? So he's trying Mm. to break and take control of Xavier for a specific purpose, which will be revealed soon. Oh, yeah. Now that you say that, even him sitting in that wheelchair, the way he's dressed and like how he looks like hunched over and he's just been like messed with so much totally is like Jason. Yeah. So not even just Stryker as the name of the character. There are themes throughout this story that are... It's just this comic striker doesn't create Wolverine. Wolverine. Right. And is not, he does have a military background that was a part of his backstory that we were getting. It's just, that's not his sole driver that mm-hmm. he was a part of this Weapon X project. And even especially in some of the other movies where we see the flashback of Stryker and he's always, yeah. Yeah. Stryker. And on that last panel of the page, I believe. It sounds like Stryker's breaking Xavier. That's no good. We don't like that. Do you embrace the word, Charles? And myself as the deliverer of the word? So he's trying to convince Xavier to kill. And it looks like you can see Storm and Cyclops in their little robot bubbles like they can hear what's happening. Yeah, they can. Are you worthy, Charles? Yes. 
and he attacks Cyclops and Storm. What? Blood dripping from their noses as they seemingly die. And he looks so happy in that next little picture. Relieved almost. He's like, yeah, haha, I just killed my friends. What a jerk. He's being manipulated by a evil megalomaniac. Yes, he's a jerk, but yeah, not well, right here. I'm, but I, okay, I was <laughs> calm down. You're so defensive of Xavier now that I don't like him. It's because it's because it worked too well. You know, you just sometimes yes, he's a little seedy, but also sometimes he's doing some positive things. So yes, it's, it's I'm a, just saying, smiling after you attack someone is a little psychopathic, whether or not. He's being mind controlled. That was my gut reaction. Hmm. What a jerk. And so there's a plan to release Xavier, this manipulated Xavier, onto a wider public. Oh, dang. Which, again, very reminiscent of the X2 plot lines. Hmm. Interesting. When we cut back, we have Dr. Ramsey in the back of his limo as Kitty comes through the ceiling and grabs him. Pulls him out the back seat. Imagine that. Imagine just like sitting in your car and not only do you see this girl just come through the ceiling, the roof of your car, but then she just like takes you with her and pushes you out the back end. Yeah. Well, and not just that because she's supposed to be dead. At least he thinks that she's supposed to be dead. Oh. Right. So he's got informants in the field. He's got the purifier team that's telling him, yeah, we we shot up the car. She didn't get away. Liars. And then at the end of that page, that blue tail, perhaps, grabbing him by the throat and pulling him up. Oopsie. Could it be? Night crawling. This is a really cool series of art work in these panels. I really like the diagonal. It's like cutting in closer on Nightcrawler's mouth as he's talking to him and it's just this diagonal image that the image itself gets smaller and smaller as Nightcrawler's face gets closer and closer to his face. Yeah. It's a cool way of like visually building intensity. Yeah, and it's it's seemingly an intensity that we have not seen from Kurt this almost losing his wits about what's going on and what their the X-Men are being pushed to do and how to deal with this threat. Yeah, and I feel like how much because the the x-men know basically what the basis of their of the purifiers beliefs are and that it's based in religion and he's probably like really upset because he doesn't believe the same things that Mm -hmm. they believe and they're they're basically like using these things that he believes in yeah i'm not sure how much of distinction they know or realize between the striker's crusade striker as the man in his words and the purifier team like i don't know if they've connected all those dots oh they're not like just an assumed associated organization i don't know interesting and we cut back striker building sometime later bodies on the floor just storm and cyclops body just like chilling on the floor floor. they don't care that's and they're gonna incinerate them what? Scott and Aurora. Anna joins on the next page. I'll tag Anna, along. Not the secretary. Not the secretary. She's like the head honcho in the Purifier <laughs> strike team. <laughs> not the secretary. Kids wanted for examination. We have Ileana in that same elevator. Gang's all here, y'all. Uh-oh. It's culminating. It's coming together. Everyone in one spot as the elevator is magnetized. My <gasps> gun, the walls, magnetized. magnetized? And the elevator panel... Won't work. Who could possibly be magnetizing it? On the next page. 
Magneto. Anne escapes the elevator as it's pulled towards the rest of the X-Men. And it's amazing. The- it's just pulled out of the building straight up into the sky. And she's like, nah, I'm just going to jump out real quick. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like they, I don't know how far they are away from Stryker's building pulling this elevator. But they seem not concerned at all by the fact that Anne jumps from this flying elevator, lands on the l- rooftop ledge, and pulls herself up. Not their problem. They must not consider me worth bothering about. That mistake will cost them dearly. Well, what were they supposed to do? Like, if Magneto's pulling the the elevator out with his magnetism, like, and she jumps out, and they're not even around, like, That's, don't be so full of yourself, Anne. Well... <laughs> She's also the leader of the purifiers, or at least one of the leaders of the purifiers. I, I, I think she thinks, you know, they should be more concerned about me and my, my abilities to, to do things. Right. They should, but she got away. Like, right. She just got away. You got to catch them all, but you can't catch them all at once. They're not dead. They're in some kind of stasis. <gasps> Amazing. They're not dead. So do you think <gasps> secretly Xavier knew? My senses tell me that? Scott and Aurora are alive. In some kind of stasis, a hefty jolt of electricity might revive them. Wolverine, they don't smell dead. They don't smell dead. That's basically what he's saying. It smells like a woman. It's worth a try, you know? Magneto's got that magic touch. Those those electromagnetic pulses, perhaps? Oh, yeah. And it seems that Charles was subconsciously aware of what he did. He killed, quote-unquote, Scott and Aurora to get them out of Stryker's grasp. Oh, look at you, Charles. You sneaky mom. And they wake up and they see Magneto. What? what? Why? What? Why Magneto? And it's a perfect recap of the reasons that have brought them together. It's almost as if God Loves Man Kills knew we were going to take a two-parter. And they knew. We they were going to recap. Yeah. Just remind us, you know, considering our past association, your reaction is understandable. I am not your enemy, X-Men, nor do I consider you mine. True, my goal has ever been the conquest of Earth, but solely to create a world where our race, Homo Superior, can live in peace. Snaps to Magneto. Snaps. He's just going off on his different ideologies. Magneto's true goal and what he's trying to do, his master plan of a mutant utopia, and how it works with, not against, the X-Men. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. There's an there's a building and there's a news crew. Yeah, we have a gathering of people for Stryker's sermon. And we get a note about the opinions of world leaders and politicians and how their lack of presence here signals their concern of Stryker's message, Stryker's methods. Mm, they're starting to be like, is this guy mm-hmm. really the best representation of what we believe in? And the growing distance from religious leaders as well who question Stryker's methods. To many, it betokens an attitude uncomfortably reminiscent of that held in Nazi Germany against the Jews. Uncomfortably. Yeah. and it, it, like So we see backstage this apparatus again modeled similarly to what had been pulled into X2, right? We have this contraption that Xavier's stuck in. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of machinery around. There's something that Stryker is talking to him. And when you make contact with those minds, you will destroy them. You know, it's generally the same idea of mm-hmm. reaching out telepathically and attacking all of these mutants. That's crazy. 
just in general, both in X2 and now. It's crazy. Yeah. And Warren Stryker as she comes in, but he's too high on himself to care. He's just <laughs> like, I'm I'm saving the world, and I don't Anne, have time. I'm busy, Anne. And then his sermon begins. That brethren. It's <laughs> like a rock concert. It's Madison Square Garden. <laughs> just sold out seats. And these two politicians on that second line of panels talking about does the president know what Stryker is saying? Does he actually support him? The president is a fair-minded man. He believes the reverend's views deserve a hearing. And we even get the police officers reacting to this overall message, to this intense reaction from this crowd. They don't even want to be there. You know, the Rangers are playing the Islanders over in Garden City. I wish I was there. <laughs> I'd rather be watching sports. Crowd's eating it up. I don't know, partner. That preacher scares me. He scares me too. Mutants are caused by the devil. Yeah, we are as God made us. Any deviation from that sacred template, any mutation comes not from heaven, but hell. Okay, Stryker, explain that to me. Like, that makes no sense. That's a terrible argument. How can you say we are as God made us if we're perfect humans? But if we're not perfect humans, if there's anything a little bit wrong with us, then it was the devil. I yeah. don't feel that is a valid argument. Well, Neither do I. I don't no, I know it. that. I, I'm, so I'm just, I'm just trying to empathize or kind of see where he's coming from. But the argument being, man was created in God's image, right? And mm-hmm. for generations, for hundreds of years, however long it's been, this has been the genetic template of man, right? You and I, what we look like, what we move and and sound, and mm-hmm. this next evolution does not look like that, does not look like what has been accepted as the image of God. Mm-hmm. And especially when you consider Stryker's backstory with his newly born child that mm-hmm. looks like a quote-unquote abomination or yes. a, a monster of some kind, I can see how he might conflate those ideas of this is something that is beyond what is the naturalness of humanity. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm just pointing out that you really could say if if he wanted mutants to be equal, he could just say the same argument and take away the part about it being the devil and just say, well, God created all of us and however God creates you, that's how you should be. I was just kind of like playing devil's advocate and pointing out that that argument is only valid if you tweak it to make it valid but it could be used in another way mm-hmm. and behind the podium a switch is thrown the size scan device activated the results aren't long in coming as on the roof of the Ge- general post office building across 8th avenue they all start to react and this random guy with the star wars t-shirt i love that he has a star wars t-shirt yeah, i was yeah. just gonna say that such a nerd must be a mutant must be a mutant and they don't know what to do how to proceed He's on national TV, so we can't just go in and attack him. Right, because if you go in and attack him on national TV, you're just showing everybody just exactly what he's saying. Proving his point, right. But Magneto's like, nah, I'm going. Nah, I'm going. Going. Plays his own hand. I love this coming in. Striker! 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 And he's just got this real conscious awareness of where the real threat is coming from. You know, it's not Magneto. He's replaced the roof. It's what Stryker is saying. Yeah, this is our same two politicians from before. 
And they acknowledge the fact that Magneto isn't the real threat. He's come in. He's replaced the roof with his magnetic powers. It's what Stryker is saying that's the real threat that they should be aware of. And Stryker commands Xavier to attack Magneto. Hits him with a cybolt. Yikes. He's greatly injured by Xavier. Can barely stand or use his powers. He's trying to hold things back. Something's happening to the senator on the end of that page. You're bleeding. What the hell is going on here? What is this madman doing? Seems like the senator... Might be a mutant. Yeah. Unbeknownst to himself or secretly knew it the whole time. Yeah. The cops, again, being this almost calm reaction of, you know, not if I can help it, Buster. Back off, you people. This is supposed to be a church service, not a damn circus. Leave this man be. Because the crowd is basically attacking Magneto now. Right. Meanwhile, out of sight of the crowd, muties. So Magneto's attacking from the inside. The X-Men move in on Xavier. Gotta get him out of there. Yeah. But they're slowed down. You can see Kitty reacts by the effects of the machine that Xavier's hooked up to. There's Anne. There's She's Anne. trying to alert you. The X-Men are here trying to free Xavier. Ah! Anne, what if... What have they done to you? Wait a minute. Now Anne's bleeding from Blood? the nose. The beam's affecting me, but that's impossible. That would mean I'm a mutant. <gasps> Not Anne. Not Anne, but maybe. Oh, Anne. What, what, how does it feel, Anne? It is God's will, child. Not my own. I am truly sorry. Oh, that's nice, Striker. And she's trying to reason with him, but he pushes and kills Anne on TV. Oh my, Lanta. And you even see, I love these, this one panel in the center of the page where you yes. see this kind of framing box as I'm assuming the camera is panning Down. with yeah. Anne's falling body. You even see on the panel before it, that's the vantage point from that camera. And that last panel in that sequence, those three sequences of Anne's dead body. That's crazy. That is really cool. A cool way of showing, you know, you see the full picture of her falling and then those boxes are layered to be like this is what the the audience sees. Yeah, yeah. Magneto comes at the reverend with his words. Is this is this then the holy word, reverend, that any who oppose you must die? And even I like these people on the bottom. One says, Shut up, Mutie, this is your fault. And another one says, Wait a minute, what he's saying makes sense. Let's get the freak. Nobody's getting anybody, capiche. Take a walk, Buster, you and your buddies, while you're still able. It's nice to see the cops on Magneto's side. Yeah, or just the side of reason, right? They're fully taking in the message, whereas, you know, we were talking about it in the first part. Everybody seems to be playing into the fears or Mm -hmm. the bigger idea of this as a threat and getting caught up in this hysteria of... Take down the mutants. I think, too, this whole sequence really shows anybody who's there and anybody who knows, especially that Anne is on his side, you know, anybody that's witnessing this of this. They have this idea that, oh, if you're a mutant, you're inherently bad. Right. Right. And then they see this person who is anti-mutant. And then all of a sudden she's being affected because she is a mutant and she didn't even know it. And I feel like that has to have some impact on people who are like, wait a second. Some mutants don't even know they're a mutant. Some mutants don't use their powers like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was wrong. Oh, they're just people. And I'm convinced that it's an evil agenda. The X-Men make their move. Behind stage, 
with Xavier. And this, I just, if you look and, and really understand what it is that they're trying to do, Nightcrawler and Wolverine go in close to the professor to take his attention as Cyclops ricochets his eye beams off of the walls to hit the machine itself. So them going in close was just a distraction. To, just to get his head just enough out of the way. Yeah, just to throw Xavier off. And while Cyclops moves in for his actual move, Wolverine was freaking out about that plan. It had to be this way, though. Striker is the real enemy, and the battle isn't over yet. Yeah, that second page. Then it is finished. We have won. The fight's barely begun, Peter. But without the machine or the professor to power it, Striker is beaten. Should we not go before we can summon more purifiers? I'm not running. It isn't the purifiers who are dangerous, but the man himself. His beliefs, his ideas. If we don't stand up to those here and now, then all we've done is delay an inevitable holocaust. Those are some powerful words, Cyclops. And everybody's on board. What are we waiting for, Kurt says. So they go out on stage in front of everyone and they confront Stryker. And everybody, you know, it's like, well, they're crazy. What? Holy moly, it's the X-Men. Maybe, but they got guts. You got guts, kid. So Cyclops is trying to reason with Stryker. And he brings up the example of the two kids at the beginning of the story. And how they were killed just because of who they were. Right. They did nothing. They were in a playground. Yep. Would you do that to someone because of the color of their skin or their beliefs? I do nothing, Cyclops. I am an instrument of the Lord. And whatever a man's color or beliefs, he is still human. Those children and you X-Men are not. And he points at Kurt. Human? You dare call that thing human? Right. And, you know, Kurt is a perfect example of what he's trying to say or or what he's trying to call attention to of these physical deformities, these things that resemble an evil or a demon influence. Don't judge a book by its cover, Striker. For real. You're way more of a demon than Kurt is. And then, so that's exactly what Kitty's saying. She's taking a stand. Amazing. You know, me and Kitty, we are just on the same wavelength. More human than you. Nightcrawler's generous and kind and decent. He had every reason to be bitter, every excuse to become as much of a demon inside and out, but he decided he'd rather learn to laugh instead. Snaps to you, kitty. Yeah, and this page of Stryker with a gun pointed at them. Blam! Oh my, oh my, who did he shoot? What happened? A cop has shot Stryker instead. (gasps) That cop shot the Reverend. This is riveting. Yep, who was about to shoot an unarmed little girl. If that's the word of God, it's sure changed since Sunday school. But what about the muties? What about them? They've done as much or as little as you clowns. As far as I'm concerned, they're free to go, and good luck to them. They'll need it. Yes. Yeah, I just... Yes! The Vindication! Cops, the cops have been this, this point of reason, this point of, hey, no, I'm not getting swept up in this message. I'm looking at the facts in front of me, and the facts in front of me are this man killed a woman that was in his employ... And then was about to shoot at an unarmed girl standing right in front of him. Just because she, he disagrees with the words coming out of her mouth. Or, the yeah, the person that she is. Right. Epilogue. Ooh, epilogue. Mm. We're at the end. And we, we, we get to kind of that point that we've been dancing around this whole time. A, a true melding of viewpoints. Magneto coming in from the shadows as the public opinion bomb drops of Stryker and his crusade. William Stryker was arraigned today on charges arising out of the recent activities of a group 
of his supporters who call themselves purifiers. He denounced the indictment as religious persecution and predicted the eventual vindication of himself and his crusade. Makes me sick right now. The man was beaten. His cause lives on. Already it's being said that Stryker's goal was right, only his methods flawed. No matter how hard you try, you cannot truly win. And Xavier, you know, has this shake in his beliefs. Uh, I I fear. fear, old friend. Mm -hmm. You are correct. I have never heard that tone of voice from you, Professor. Are you telling us we should join Magneto? What? Why not? Yes. I've spent my life smashing my head against a wall that refuses to be broken. Perhaps it's time I, we, found a better way. Stryker made me a killer. Even though no one actually died, the intent was there. Cyclops won't, won't accept it. You know, he, he stands up for it. Stands up for Xavier's dream and what he's been taught to believe his whole life. I mean, it's from where Cyclops is standing, from Cyclops's point of view. You have to also understand. Wait, hold up. Who am I? What's happening? I'm talking about. I'm understanding Cyclops's point of view. I'm, ah. I'm feeling a little bit nauseous. Okay. Um, Cyclops is right. No, shh. So, but from his point of view, there were people in their experience, there were police officers in that crowd who sided with them. And there are people who side with this idea that mutants are just people and that not all mutants are bad mutants and and there is a way for them to live in harmony together. And it's not that... I'm not, I don't want to completely disagree with that argument, even though I'm uh, always pro-Magneto. I mean, if I did completely disagree with that argument, the world, I, that would be my outlook on real life. And that's not my outlook on real life. Right. But it's just interesting, you know, when you think about both sides of it, of how much can a person take before they just give up? on this idea you know how much can they continue to fight for this idea of equality and acceptance and be continuously shot down and not given that opportunity and not given that respect that they are to a human being before they just decide like this isn't worth it anymore you know Mm -hmm. and you there are not everybody is not prejudiced against the x-men right or against mutants but you have so much time that you spend being giving people the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, in that like you're assuming that they're not going to be prejudiced against you because they're a good person and then they turned out being a bad person. And so how long can you sustain keeping that... Optimism alive. Keeping that going. And like for someone like Xavier in this moment, when you're, you're literally taken and shown how your power can be manipulated to destroy so many people... It has to put like a new level of fear in you and a new realization of like, okay, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. And and what I do, how can I, how do I move forward? Like, what's the right choice? Is what I'm doing really making an impact? Right. Is this the right way to go? That's very sad to me. This is, this is the big, you know, these two pages where you, you get this Xavier shaken in his dream, shaken. Like mm-hmm. this is a pivotal point for him. This is like everything that he's been working for, working towards, trying to do has been rocked by this experience. It's crazy. And then you think about someone like Magneto, who now at this point has the backstory of living through the Holocaust. And so now not only is he in one group of people who has been persecuted and tortured and 
tormented for for having a different religion he's now put in this other group because he's also a mutant so there's obviously this feeling of no I just need to just take the people who are like me and we're just gonna go live somewhere together and be like ourselves and not deal with these other people which is interesting because you know you think about it when Magneto is often framed as the villain but Uh, he's not really trying to I mean correct me if I'm wrong but his overarching stance is not completely destroy the humans. It's just make the humans leave us alone. Yeah, I mean it goes, it goes through ebbs and flows based on what the humans are doing to him and mm-hmm. and his approaches. You know, definitely in the beginning, in that Silver Age time, he was more of the just kill the humans, just kill the humans, just just set off some missiles and leave me alone. <laughs> I'm going. I got my crew of mutants and we're doing our own thing, but. I think especially through this run with Claremont as the writer, you are starting to understand and and sympathize and almost identify with how he would come across this problem, this situation, the way that he does. Mm -hmm. You you recognize the validity in his argument and the fact that how many times can we try to do this? It's just... It's it's nice to have writing and stories that really show you the complexities of these issues. That mm-hmm. it's not just one or the other. It's not black and white. It's not an easy decision. Right. Any moment you could feel completely different about it depending on what happened to you that day. And you think about the extent to which Magneto has gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you also think about the extent to which Xavier has gone. Is either really truly a hero or a villain there is right. some evil on both sides there is some good on both sides there is some intent to do things for the betterment of their people it's just the end goal has some difference yeah like what is it that you're really hoping for in the end in the beginning it seems you know the hope is equality but in the end it ends up turning to survival mm-hmm and that's just such a roller coaster. Right. Well, and, and then you compare it and you think about to the current books and what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and, and just say, okay, we've tried this, we've done this, and no matter what we do, they just keep on doing more. Let's remove ourselves from this. Let's set up our own structures. Let's build our own economy and country and safe haven for our people. Yeah. It's so interesting. I don't know. This is a little bit of a tangent, so I won't go too, too deep into it. I mean, we it. only have two more pages left. So. Okay. But like, it's just interesting to think about the idea of mutants as a parallel to real life situations. Like, okay, let's just take racism, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I guess in some instances, you know, if there's a biracial couple or like a biracial child is born out of a parent of two different races, then there's the conflict of where does that child stand? But you could also have two, in in a mutant situation, you could have two parents of the same race who then create a child who is a mutant, who then all of a sudden doesn't fit into what their family is. And 
on the other hand, too, you could have two mutant parents who give birth to a child who is not a mutant. Mm -hmm. And so, like, where does the line for that prejudice come from? You know, like, if you're a child of two mutants and you're... So, okay, you're a kid and you're born on Krakoa and you're not a mutant and then now you're exiled from your family? Maybe, maybe not because, you know, some humans are allowed to live on Krakoa, but there's just... It's interesting how with the parallel of being a mutant, there's not really a clear dividing line. Whereas with some other prejudices, you know, it's like if you are this religion or you're not this religion, then I have a clear line as to why I'm prejudiced against you. And it's, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to to constantly have this as a tool to think about and to talk about really what that stems from and the fact that it really just stems from whether or not you believe that people are equal or whether or not you believe that people deserve equal respect mm-hmm. because there's not a fine, there's not a secure line to draw in the sand when it comes to whether or not someone's a mutant or where they got their mutant powers from or how this happened to them. It's really by chance, right? Yeah. So and it just, I just feel like it's such a deep... Metaphor of yeah, it's humanity it's and so much to unpack. To your point about so, and I think that through this we really start to broaden the conversation of human versus mutant or human mutant divide mm-hmm. from beyond just racism, but also to homophobia. Right? right. So you could have two heterosexual parents that have a gay child that were raised a certain way. Right. To, right? So that kind of creates that feeling of do I belong in this family? Am I going to be shamed or disowned because of being who I am? And I feel like that then starts to, through Magneto and Kate, about religion and Mm -hmm. and religious beliefs and just who you are as a person and how that is, quote unquote, affecting other people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because it ties to so many different things and it can be related to so many different people's personal experience that it really sheds light on the idea of prejudice and how how a prejudice is formed and how because there are so many different things that people can put other people in boxes for or decide like this is wrong and this isn't right you just wonder like where does where does it end you know and how how is it decided? Like who decides? I yeah. don't know. How do you how do you get to point how do you get to the point where you can have a conversation with people and they actually want to listen to each other? Right. Man, thesis statement. Thesis statement. Real world struggles. Thank you to the X Men and the mutants for And and kinda so to to say one more thing on this, the metaphor and how broadening it is, a lot of the X Men are considered the found family Mm -hmm. you know you you connect with the people who are like you going through similar struggles which comes from a lot of queer lifestyle and Mm -hmm. and having that found family that you've built through shared experience and and this we've all carried these struggles in some way or another right i feel like really takes this metaphor and, and levels it onto a lot of different things yeah i could literally sit here and talk about this all day long but we won't do that today okay so magneto asks and you charles do you subscribe to your students insanity or will you join me i and he looks like he almost you know he had this nice potential handhold cannot as you remind me magnus i taught them 
I gave them their reasons for being. I cannot desert them. And if they are willing to give my dream a chance, then so am I. You're all fools. For all our sakes, mutant and human, I hope you do. But should you fail, it will be my turn. Yeah. And I feel like that, too, is a really great statement about Magneto that there is still this bit of hope in him that he wants Charles to Charles's succeed. Charles's dream can succeed. He just knows he can't do it. Yeah. Like he's been through too much. Can't believe it. He can't he can't do it. He can't be the one to implement it. If you can do it, great. But just know that every time that your ideas fail and the humans prove you wrong, I'll, I'll be there. Be there. <laughs> Wrapping people in metal burritos, I will be there. I don't know this song that you're singing. I'm just making it up as I go. Oh, okay. It's good. It's good. I love it. I I mean, it's Yamo Be There from, you know, the song. Nope. Yamo Be There. I believe you. That's the only line that I know from (laughs) song. It was was in the 40-year-old version. Okay. If I have to hear this song one more time, Yamo Burn This Place Down. That said, the 40-year-old version is now 56. And I was like, what? Came out 16 years ago. Is that yeah. What you're yeah. Yikes. Okay. Magneto will be there. Last page. I feel so ashamed. To be proven only human, as flawed and vulnerable as the rest of us. Where's the shame in that? Where indeed. I owe you more than I can ever repay. Yeah. It's, it's just this message of Xavier waver- wavering in his goals and the X-Men truly holding on to and believing in the dream that brought them all together, wanting to see this to the end. And I think that these last couple panels of Storm and Cyclops, you know, her acknowledgement of the leadership and strength that Cyclops has shown truly becoming the teacher in a moment that Xavier needs is really powerful, both to their respects of being these these leaders of this team, this next generation of carrying on his dream. Yeah. It's a lot for them, too, because they have to struggle with what like what are they going to do how are they going to do it how do you continuously provide the motivating amount of hope Mm -hmm. to keep the team going when stuff like this keeps happening how do you indeed finn the end what'd you think i i love this story yay i love this story so much you're gonna read it Maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think it's really great. And it's condensed enough. It's contained enough, that too. That it's fast-paced enough that I'm intrigued the whole time. Mm-hmm. Every page is exciting. Um, you know, the art. There's some cool things that happen with the art and showing different perspectives or point of views, which I also think is parallel to what the storyline is trying to tell you and show you different perspectives and point of views. And, you know, thinking back about that, the shot with the camera angle Mm -hmm. and going down, it's like in that moment, the camera is showing you what the camera wants you to see, what they want you to point out. And it's very similar to basically how Stryker works. And he's, you know, forcing you to see what he wants you to see. And he's picking out and telling you what he wants you to see. And then the X-Men come in and, they try to show you something different. So yeah. that parallel is really interesting. You know, it's a it's a deep, very thought-provoking story, Yeah, which this, I think is important. Yeah, this is almost 
almost 40 years old. And how many times did we talk about how relevant it still is? It's insane. It's insane. It's insane to me just as a human being that stuff like this is still so prominent. And I feel like I don't know when it won't be, but knowing that there are outlets and there are resources and there are tools, you know, to use these stories to help hopefully help people see how when you contextualize it in a different way, maybe you can relate to it in a different way and understand it in a different way. Um, I think it's just a really important and really well-written story. Yeah. It's very compelling. And it's very human. Yeah. There's so much about it that connects it to the human experience that it's not just a superhero story. Right. There's no, in this story, aside from, you know, the idea that he has this machine that can enhance Xavier's powers to help him to destroy mutants by, you know, pinpointing them and attacking them mentally, there's no like crazy science fiction villain. Like the villain is a real man doing real things that happen in the real world. So with, I think with an unlimited budget for crazy <laughs> science technology. Right, right. And of fighting course they have people you know, with like, superpowers. They have superpowers. Sure. But it could very well be the a, framework a of it story is, that is told without yes, superpowers. Yes. Um and I just feel like the fact that the threat in this book is something that isn't isn't very typical to the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, you have evil mutants and we always talk about evil mutants. But you have men and their machines of death swaying the mass public opinion to generally create fear of a whole race of people. Like this is mm-hmm. some big, heavy stuff. It's why I feel like, you know, this is so resonant. And the fact that Stryker twisted scripture to justify his attack and inspire his viewers to follow him. Yes. And I just, so the last thing I'll, I'll call out as like a thing that I was thinking beforehand, Xavier almost accepting Magneto's vision, leaving his dream speaks to the power of what Stryker was able to do. How, to his core, he was able to shake Xavier. Yeah, it's it's what I was saying before about like how many experiences can you go through be- before you just lose faith, your hope. Yeah, and and faith in what you believe is true. How many times can you say something is true and something can happen and then be proven wrong or be shut down or knocked down and get back up again? And I think that's sort of what's also really wonderful showcasing in the end of this is that magneto is saying i i have my belief and when he leaves he's alone he goes and he goes off by himself and he's like i'll be here waiting and xavier has the backup of these other people who are saying you know of this entire experience right now you had some of the most traumatic things happened to you you were manipulated but in the end we were there for you and there were good people who were there for you so there's this support system that helps him regain his hope and refocus and And magneto doesn't really have that xavier is seeing the influence that he's created right so the fact that it's not all hopeless it's not all lost the fact that he's been able to inspire Maybe a small group, but still a group of dedicated students who are willing to believe in this dream and and fight for it and not let him desert it is powerful. Right. And then those people will hopefully then influence other people who will influence other people. And it just, again, is another 
metaphor, another statement about how even small changes eventually, hopefully, will will result in a larger change. Yeah. So it's just, it's so relevant and it's so thought-provoking and so well-written and... I feel like this book should be in schools. Yes, it so should be in schools. You know, you talk about how this, this as a story bridges a lot of things that you could talk about, literary analysis, but also just the medium of comic books is visually interesting. The characters of X-Men are inherently interesting to, mm-hmm. to students. I was going to say children, but I don't really <laughs> Not just dig children. that deep. But I also feel like what's nice about it is that there's so much of it that parallels real world situations, but it's not technically a real world, real world situation. So it makes it easier to have a conversation and right. to have opinions and to have opposing viewpoints because you can talk about it without Outside of feeling yourself. like you're going to offend or that you're you're having to, you know factually back up what you're saying Mm -hmm. and i feel like so much of the conversation that needs to be had about these sort of things in the world is is too personal it yeah it it needs to be able you need to be able to open and you need to be able to ask questions and you need to be able to sort of like say well what if it was this way or what if it was this way the same way you and i were going back and forth and talking about you know different ways that striker was manipulating things or different ways that he's seeing a situation in order to get to a common ground, you have to be able to have those conversations. And it's a lot harder to have those conversations and those back and forth opinions about things that are real life because it's hard to say that you can have an opinion about someone else's life. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at fictional characters and a fictional fictional premise and this idea of mutants, then like we were saying before, it ties and parallels to so many other things that it could be such a good tool to open up conversation. Yeah. How do we get it in schools? I don't know. Who do we have to talk to? Talk to Andy. Andy. He's a history Do this teacher. with your class. This is perfect. He could totally do it. Do you have to like get approval for it to be in the curriculum? Yeah, probably. Well, who? Do, let's write a petition. I'm biting off more than I can chew here. Yeah. Well, we've left you with a lot to think about. Yeah, and we'll probably still be thinking about it. But, you know, we're ever grateful for these stories and their ability to open up conversation and give people something to connect to. So is this your favorite so far? Yeah, this is my favorite so far by far my favorite because it's compelling and interesting, but also it's relatable. And like I am a very empathetic human being. So I really connect to an opportunity to feel all sides and all feelings. I I figured that this was going to be a big one. You know, I can't just put it at the beginning because yeah, this was the first one that I lent to Juan to, and he was like, what else do I read now? You yeah, know, like, what else is there? There's a lot of other stuff. But in terms of a succinct message about all the things, this is what the X-Men mean to me. This is what the X-Men mean to me. Yeah. So until next time, old friend. Charles, I'm alone, but I will be there. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan.